This is gonna be fun. Jeremiah um, is quite a book. And I wanna give you just a little bit of an intro to the book of Jeremiah because, um, you know, I think it's important to know a little bit, not only the person, but the setting, you know, the, the place, what's happening uh, during that time period. And, um, you know, uh, I think it gives us a little bit of a important view as we kind of see what Jeremiah was facing. Um, and this is, this is where uh, if you were going through the scriptures with us in, you know, Second Kings, you know, uh, that, re- that area, we, we saw kind of what was going on during this time. Jeremiah would be alive during seven different kings um, that were ruling the Jewish people at that time. Um, and it's really his, you know, his, his call to, to ministry came in 627 B.C., and it would end um, 586 BC. And uh, so it was just about 41, 42 years of ministry that Jeremiah would span. So there'd be five kings. Now during his life, there were seven kings, but his, his ministry began. Well, let me tell you about those seven kings, just so you can kind of get the scene. This might bring back some memories as we went through the scriptures, uh, you know, in uh, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, you kind of get the scene. You know, his call to service, um, was, um, uh, you know, by the Lord, very audibly. And so we know exactly when that happened. Um, the Hebrews, by the way, they pronounce Jeremiah, we say Jeremiah, you know, but um, it's actually the Jews say, Yirmiyahu. <laughs> uh, that's how they'd say his name. Um, and it means um, God establishes. And I believe through Jeremiah, God would seek to establish his word, even to a rebellious people of Israel. Um, but God establishes. Uh, Jeremiah, one of the things we're gonna see in this is that he reminds us of Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, he, I think, is somewhat of a picture. Like, there's many pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. You know, you can talk about how Joseph, you know, um, uh, the son of Isaac uh, and Jacob, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then after Jacob, one of the 12 tribes, Joseph. But Joseph was that interesting son that was a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. And the thing about him is there's no sin recorded about Joseph, even though there, um, there may have been uh, sin. You know, he, he wasn't recorded as that. And so he makes this great picture of Jesus Christ. Um, but, you know, for Jeremiah, he goes down in sort of a picture of Jesus in that he was called uh, the weeping prophet. And we've talked about that just briefly on Sunday. Um, Let me remind you of what uh, we're gonna read here in chapter nine, Jeremiah chapter nine, just just coming attractions here. Uh, Jeremiah nine, one says, "'Oh, that my head were waters, "'and my eyes a fountain of tears, "'that I might weep day and night "'for the slain of the daughter of my people.'" Um, Jeremiah says, oh, that my head were just a big water balloon. <laughs> uh, and my eyes were just flowing fountains of tears. Why? He's, he's a weeping prophet because of what was happening to the Jews, but what was happening to the Jews was because of their own sin. And so um, he, he really is one who's weeping and compassionate. Uh, and so that's why, like I mentioned on Sunday, you know, the, the, the uh, New Testament period people uh, thought Jesus was Jeremiah. Um, in fact, I didn't look, talk completely about that, but you know, you, you guys know Matthew chapter 16, there at Caesarea Philippi, they, you know, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. 
<coughs> probably because of the miracles that he was doing, you know. Uh, that was Elijah's reputation. And the other people say, you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's Deuteronomy 18, 18. There's a prophecy of a coming prophet. And they're thinking maybe he's that prophet of Deuteronomy 18, 18. But why would Jeremiah be thrown in the mix here? It may have to do with his compassion and his weeping over Israel that they see in Jesus. Uh, and they say, maybe he's Jeremiah, you know. Uh, wouldn't that be great? I mean, if people, uh, you know, like who could actually look in retrospect in this story of Jesus saying, who do people say that I am? And then have you confused for Jesus? Um, <laughs> that, that, that's good stuff. Um, to, to have people think, man, that person's like Jesus. That, I'd take that as a compliment. Um, but, you know, that's, of course, in Matthew 16, when Peter said, well, you know, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ, you're the Mashiach Nagid, you're the Messiah. Um, and um, and uh, Peter gets commended for declaring who Jesus really was. But all that to say, Jeremiah uh, is is a great prophet. We talked about how, um, on Sunday, you know, he, he may not go down as the most successful or the most even, um, you know, intellectual, uh, but he goes down as truly the faithful because Jesus would quote Jeremiah more than any other prophet, even though Jeremiah's ministry, while he was alive, would be pretty much uh, rejected, well, entirely, I should say, rejected. Not one person's gonna listen to Jeremiah in his 42 years of ministry. Um, and so we're gonna see him even struggle with his calling. Uh, even tonight in chapter one, we're gonna see him say, man, I don't know. And the Lord's gonna encourage him. We'll see how Jeremiah once in a while needed to be stirred up uh, and not to be afraid of ministering to the people that was in front of him. Uh, and maybe that'll uh, speak to some of you that are afraid of d doing the right thing and ministering and saying and speaking truth. <coughs> Jeremiah is gonna be a guy that I think might help you and me in these days that we live. Because um, I think that the days we're living is, is becoming, it's more and more hostile. If you are a person who speaks truth, you might just have somebody screaming in your face. <laughs> I can't say that 10 years ago. Uh, but today, uh, if you speak the truth of the word of the Lord, you might have hate mail and death threats um, I've had that, uh, along with, um, uh, you know, a lot of people in our church. We, you know, I, I even saw something um, uh, uh, recently that kind of concerned me about a person who was vocal about their beliefs and, and beliefs and just recently received a, a note in the mail saying that there was gonna be, a, you know, people coming and burning down their house. Like, these are the days we're living. Um, they're dark days. And, um, and there's many evil people who do not wanna hear the truth. And because of that, we find ourselves uh, perhaps at the edge of persecution, maybe more than we've ever been, at least in my lifetime. Um, so we're, we're seeing that coming. And so Jeremiah might be helpful to us to see what a faithful servant of the Lord who declares the truth looks like. And even when he feels like he doesn't wanna do it anymore, the Lord's gonna keep nudging him into ministry. So, um, so what was the scene during Jeremiah's day? Well, Jeremiah was born, during the reign of Manasseh. If you recall, Manasseh was considered one of the most evil, wicked kings of, of um, Israel's history. In fact, I think he gets the number one award for the worst king. Now, the problem with Manasseh, you remember the last 10 seconds of his life, he, he repented and turned toward the Lord and chose to follow the Lord and believe. 
well, um, uh, I, I think we might see Manasseh in heaven. <laughs> what a shocker that is. Um, that just shows the mercy of the Lord. And that gives me great hope for people that maybe didn't really walk with the Lord on their lifetime, but they maybe at that last breath of air accepted and believed in Christ. Um, you know, Manasseh is one of those guys, but Jeremiah was born during that long reign of that evil, wicked king, Manasseh. Um, after Manasseh, Ammon was born to uh, Manasseh and he would be the next king, but he would only reign for two years. He would be assassinated. He was a weak king and he was killed after two years. And then uh, his son began to reign at the ripe old age of eight. Uh, does anybody remember his name? If you said Josiah, you're right. Josiah was the one who would reign after Ammon. So you got Manasseh, Ammon, and Josiah. And as it turns out, during the reign of Josiah, that's when Jeremiah's ministry would be, that's when he'd be called to ministry. Um, many Bible scholars believe Josiah and Jeremiah um, were about the same age, uh, maybe one or two years off, but, but very close to the same age. <clears throat> and this is interesting because, um, you know, uh, we're gonna learn about how old Jeremiah was when he gets the call to ministry because of Josiah's age. I'll show you that here in, in um, you know, the first couple verses of Jeremiah. But that's when uh, Jeremiah would reign. Now, some of you might say, Brett, you just said Jeremiah's reigning in kind of a, a brutal time period when people hated Jeremiah. Wasn't there a big revival during the reign of Josiah? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, because it seemed like there was a revival. There was a emotional response and there was even a physical response of people burning their idols and Josiah cleaning out the land of idolatry. But um, if you look very closely at the revival during Josiah, I believe Josiah was a sincere king from a very early age who wanted to do the right thing. But in the heart of the people of Israel, it was sort of a pseudo revival. It was kind of this thing where there was, you know, um, outward show of repentance and even perhaps, uh, you know, um, you know the, the signs of people who were trying to seek after God. But as it turns out, there was not a regeneration in their hearts and it wasn't deep seated in their souls. It was kind of like, oh, jo Josiah is a godly guy. So I guess we better dump our, our, our idols. And so there wasn't a legitimate revival. Um, I almost wonder if that could be the most difficult time to be a pastor, prophet, or someone who's trying to share the word because people think they're doing the right thing because they got rid of their idols and they're following the king and sort of having the look or the appearance of holiness and following after God. But it wasn't something that was coming from their hearts. So it would be a short-lived revival and it wouldn't be very long after Josiah that they'd fall right back into their idolatry and evil. In fact, they'd maybe even go worse into it after that. Um, be careful, brothers and sisters, just because there's an emotional response and it seems like people are, are accepting and believing and saying, yeah, revival in the land. I've noticed there's a lot of revivals so-called that are fleeting. And what's weird is I've even seen those in my own lifetime. Um, you know, there's, there's big movements where people got all excited. Um, do you guys remember in the, you know, it was it the early 90s, late 80s, the Toronto Blessing? And everybody was into Rodney Howard Brown and, and all this stuff. And, you know, they were into holy laughter and, and there seemed like this big, you know, movement and revival. But then after a while, all those things tend to have cycles and they come and then they go. And oftentimes I've observed in my many years of ministry where the people that got all into that 
they become very easily and quickly disillusioned by all faith and by Christianity. <clears throat> when, when, you know, the, the hooping and hollering and the laughter is seen as sort of fake and, um, and not really legitimate. And then they, their faith was based on an emotional, uh, you know, response rather than saying, man, I have a regeneration in my heart and there's been a true work of God. Um, that's kind of what Jeremiah's ministry is facing uh, because he begins during this sort of revival during the time of Josiah. I want you to see that because that's the beginning of his ministry and that's kind of the scene and that's gonna be his challenge. So you got Manasseh, Ammon, two-year reign, Ammon, and then Josiah reigned and Jeremiah began his ministry. So the next four kings are also during his reign. I wanna get you up to speed on that. So when Josiah reigned at eight years old, that's 2 Kings 2, 22, <coughs> excuse me. And, um, and then he had skilled and godly help, you know, as he uh, did that, uh, Josiah. But after Josiah was a guy named Jehoiaz and he reigned three months and was deposed by Egypt. So that was a short reigned, uh, reign of Jehoiaz. And then came a guy named Eliakim. Uh, and Eliakim, his name was changed by the king of Egypt. One of the things you need to know during Je Jeremiah's reign is there were two rising powers, Egypt and Babylon, Babylonians, the Egyptians and the Babylonians. And um, there was this kind of like, the, the Jews were sort of in the middle and they had to sort of decide who are they gonna align with? And during the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, they tended to lean toward trying to ally themselves with the Egyptians. Um, they should have been aligning themselves with the Lord. Some people historically might say, no, they should have aligned themselves with the Babylonians because the Babylonians would ulti ultimately be the dominating empire. So they should have aligned themselves with Babylon. No, uh, the Egyptians were a weak alliance for sure and they shouldn't have aligned themselves. Remember Isaiah chapter 30, woe to the rebellious children of Israel that go down to Egypt and take counsel of men and not of God. And, um, and they, they were trying to side with the Egyptians, but um, that would be part of their down, downfall. So. During Isaiah and Jeremiah, you know, by the way, <coughs> Jeremiah came, I think around 60 years after Isaiah was gone. So they're close, uh, relatively, uh, they're contemporaries, one of the other, Isaiah and Jeremiah. Jeremiah came though after Isaiah, shortly thereafter. But Eliakim, his, how does his name get changed by the king of Egypt? Um, it's because they were sort of like a vassal state to the Egyptians because they submitted to them and said, we, we'll stand with you as long as you protect us from those Babylonians. But that was a horrible idea. And so uh, uh, um, Eliakim gets his name changed to Jehoiakim. And after 11 years uh, in his reign, um, he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon. Um, and uh, then he was dragged off into captivity in 605 BC. Brad, I thought the Babylonians took the Jews in 586 BC. Well, that's not exactly the whole story. The, the Babylonians hauled Jews off in three waves. And one of the, the first wave was 605 BC. And that's where, you know, uh, Jehoiakim was taken. Uh, you know, his, his alliance with Egypt didn't pay off at all. And he's dragged off into captivity in 605 BC. And that would be the first wave of taking people to Babylon. Daniel the prophet would be taken in 586 BC. And that would be the final of three waves when the Babylonians came and took uh, the Jews into their 70 years of captivity. So Jeremiah, <coughs> excuse me, his, pro his prophesying and his ministry is right before 
um, all that goes right before the final wave of Babylonian captivity. And Jeremiah is trying to tell the people, repent of your sins, turn to the Lord while they're, while they're getting ready to be dragged off. That's why, by the way, some people call the book of Jeremiah Israel's funeral. The book of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, Israel's funeral, yep. As it turns out, <coughs> excuse me, got a little tickle in my throat. I don't think it's the coronavirus. Uh, we needed to, <laughs> let me get a little sip here. There we go. Um, so, uh, you know, interestingly enough, um, you know, that's why they call it Jeremiah's book, uh, the, the Israel's funeral, because it's, it's about to be crushed. The Jews, Jerusalem, by 586, which is the end of Jeremiah's ministry, Israel's just rubble. And the Jews are all taken to Babylon into captivity. Um, so that's why Jeremiah, the book, is kind of like Israel's funeral. Well, after Jehoiakim was dragged off to Babylon, a guy named Jehoiachin, uh, not Jackie Chen, Jehoiachin uh, was his name. And he was put in his place uh, sort of weekly by the enemies of Israel, he's sort of like a poser sort of king. He reigned three months and 10 days, and then he was deposed and taken to Babylon. And then finally, Nebuch uh, pardon me, Nebuchadnezzar um, uh, sort of allowed Zedekiah uh, to be put in Jehoiachin's place. And he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar in 586. And that's when Nebuchadnezzar um, came and did something that Zedekiah would never forget. If you remember the story there of Zedekiah, he, um, he had his sons brutally killed right before his eyes. And uh, Nebi and Zedekiah watched and then, the, so that was the last thing Zedekiah saw was his sons brutally killed in front of his own eyes. And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar poked out Zedekiah's eyes um, so that his last visual memory would be the death of his own sons. And of course, 586, that's when the end of it. So it's, it's like a really brutal story, um, but it's, it's so sad. That's why Jeremiah is the weeping prophet because he's living during these days when the Babylonians and the Egyptians are kind of looming over Israel and Israel, instead of turning to the Lord and humbling themselves and seeking God, um, they still trust in their idols and they trust in their own devices and they end up being totally destroyed. So Jeremiah has got a bit of a gloomy sort of uh, theme to it. And we'll see that as we get into this, uh, this story and what have you. So all that to say, the book of Jeremiah. Now in chapter one here, we, uh, we learn a lot about Jeremiah the prophet. Uh, it's, it's, you might even call this uh, chapter one, a portrait of the prophet, the portrait. And it, it paints, if you would, five things. Number one, his personal, uh, uh, you know, his person, you know, who is he? Uh, number two, his preparation for ministry. Number three, his problem. Uh, number four, his prophecy. And number five, his protection. So let's take a look. Number one, verses one through three is his person. Let's take a look. It says the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anatot, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. So Jeremiah, the word of the Lord comes to him during the 13th year of, of Josiah's reign. Now this tells us some stuff. We know how old Josiah was at this time because remember he reigned at the age of eight. So when you add those 13 years, it puts, puts you know, 
uh, Josiah right at 21 years old. So it's funny, he's been reigning for 13 years and he's only 21 years old. This is kind of amazing. That's Josiah. And that's when uh, Jeremiah, who's probably 20 or 22, somewhere in there, somewhere around the same age as Josiah. And by the way, some people believe that uh, Jeremiah and Josiah would have grown up together as buddies. Um, and I'll show you why that is. Um, it says here that Jeremiah is the son of Hilkiah of the priests. Now, do you remember who was it? The priest during Josiah's reign, do you remember the name of the two dudes that were cleaning out the temple during Josiah's reign? They're in 2 Kings chapter two, where, um, cha pardon me, chapter 22, where um, they, they were sweeping out the temple and they found the Holy Scriptures. And <clears throat> there were two guys that, uh, um, that, that found the, the scriptures. Does anybody remember their names? If you said Hilkiah and Shaphan, that was the, the priest Hilkiah and the scribe Shaphan, um, those were the two guys. And what happened was, is they said, man, we've forgotten. We found the holy scrolls of the book. And so they brought him to Josiah and, and read the scriptures in his ears. And then Josiah said, man, this is crazy that we lost this. And then he went and had, he read those scriptures in the ears of all the people. And that's what sort of sparked the, the sort of revival that we were talking about earlier. Now we know that then J Jeremiah was at the same age as Josiah. So he's probably about the same age, 21, 22 years old. And could it be that the very Hilkiah that got the word to Josiah was also Jeremiah's father? And most scholars believe this is the same Hilkiah. Uh, by the way, uh, interesting thing in history, um, you know, when you look at people that were raised and friends growing up, um, it's amazing how many famous, powerful people had famous and powerful people that they grew up with. There's, it's like they sort of rubbed off on each other. Uh, you know, uh, look sometime, you know, when, Arist when Aristotle was uh, teaching Alexander the Great, um, some of his most trusted commanders and, and generals would come from when, when there he was sitting in front of, I think it was Plato and Socrates taught Plato, Plato taught Aristotle, Aristotle taught Alexander the Great. Like, like he was a homeschooler with Aristotle as his teacher. That was Alexander the Great. But I believe it was Lysimachus and other guys that were there with Alexander and they all raised up to be people who took over the whole world. Um, it's kind of a funny thing when you uh, see how that goes in history. Um, but in, in the same way in the Bible, you see these great men and women, but they were all, all oftentimes around people that they grew up with. I wonder if, if there's a couple things to learn from this, by the way. You know, as, as parents, first of all, um, I think parents, you know, don't perhaps take an active enough role in knowing who their kids are not only hanging out with or spending their time with, but also admiring like, like, you know, um, do you know who, who your kids really admire? Um, because they'll take on those characteristics and those bits of their personality. It's amazing. Our kids are like little magnets and who they hang out with, that's what they become. And that can be a really great thing or it can be a very detrimental, horrible thing. And I've seen it where parents just say, well, my kids are gonna choose who their friends are gonna be, whatever. No, I think we as parents should take a more active role in knowing who our kids are hanging out with, because uh, it could be for greatness or for some badness. Um, I'm so thankful, by the way, I think of my own, um, you know, 
growing up years, how uh, I had a group of friends that, remember I told you la- last week or a couple weeks ago, the group of friends we were in Taco Bell and we just thought, what, could, what more could we do for the Lord? Like what junior high, high school t- group of boys sit around talking about that? But that was the group I was hanging around with. And we ended up going to the Hawthorne Manor, like I told you, and ministering to a bunch of old folks in an old folks home. And, and like I had guys that we did weird and adventurous things like that, that a lot of people say, man, that's strange. But you know what's interesting about all those guys that were part of that group? They all have grown up to be uh, what I would call men of real faith and uh, have done great things for, for the ministry and for the kingdom of God. And uh, I just think what a cool thing that I got to be a part of those groups of guys that did those things. And um, I, I would wish that upon all your children. Uh, but parents, if, if they're not making sure their kids are being raised with other kids that will sharpen them and make them stronger, minimally make sure they're not hanging around with kids that are gonna um, really mess them up. Um, and uh, I, I see that from time to time where parents have taken somewhat of a passive role and who their kids admire and who their kids are, you know. Uh, I, there were times where I had to tell my kids, um, okay, kids, that, that person, I know that all the other kids in school think that Britney Spears is the most amazing thing that ever happened, uh, you know. But I had to explain, here's why your mom and I don't approve of Britney Spears. And um, yeah, but, but dad, mom, so-and-so listens to Britney Spears and she goes to AC Creek. And I'm like, I don't care. Uh, you know, Britney Spears is A, B, C, and D, and we don't want you to be her. Uh, so we reject that and we don't allow that. Um, parents need to stand up and say, here's why it's wrong. Not just what, that's another problem. Parents, parents oftentimes tell their kids what they can and can't do, but they don't tell them why. That's not gonna help your kids. You gotta always give them the why Britney Spears is not, now, you know, that was you know, 25 years ago when I was talking to my kids about that. Who are your kids listening to or being pointed in a direction that you don't even know about? Maybe because so-and-so, well, brought that kid's from A.C. Creek. Not a guarantee that that kid from A.C. Creek is gonna point your kid in the right direction. I'm just saying, uh, we need to be more active as parents to make sure our kids are being shaped um, with the right kind of influence. And that takes work. That takes time, that takes investigation. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's the truth. Uh, don't just passively do this. You might someday either A, be really disappointed and wondering why your kid has a worldview that's so tweaked, or B, you might um, realize that it's gonna pay off to be very considerate about that. Jeremiah, raised by Hilkiah, he and Josiah, no doubt, I believe we're, we're growing up together. And now Josiah is really taking action as king. And now Jeremiah is really taking action as a prophet. And uh, I, love, I love the way this whole thing shakes out that way. So um, this is telling us about his person, who he was raised with, who his friends were. Um, and he reigned, uh, he started to do that ministry in the 13th year of his reign. Verse three, and it came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of jo- uh, Josiah, the king of Judah, unto the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So verse three is basically telling you what I just went over about all those kings. Uh, Seven kings in all, only a few of them are listed here. The ones that kind of mattered more are listed here by Jeremiah. Um, And they're not all listed exhaustively here. I gave you the exhausted list. 
The reason I did that though is so that you know the setting. And if you want, go back and review what was going on there, you know, in 2 Kings um, and, uh, um, and this whole scene. It'll give you context. So number one, Jeremiah, his person, verses one through three. Number two, his preparation. And that's verses four and five. It says this, then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, this is great because uh, we've got a young guy here and we know the, the way he was called, it was the word of the Lord, Jehovah, that came to Jeremiah. Um, how does the Lord speak? You know, was Jeremiah just there as a 20 year old guy, just kind of sitting around and all of a sudden, the Lord said, Jeremiah, I'm calling you and I knew you, you know, in your mother's womb, I, before I formed thee, I called you to be a prophet. Did, was it an audible word from the Lord? The answer is we don't know. Uh, I wanna show you though how the Lord spoke to his prophets. We, we have a few scriptures. In fact, keep your finger here and go with me to Hebrews chapter one. We have a little bit of a description of perhaps how Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Daniel, Ezekiel, how these prophets actually heard from the Lord. There's a little bit of a description of that in Hebrews chapter one. And there in Hebrews chapter one, that's the New Testament right after Philemon, Hebrews, James, that area. Uh, in Hebrews chapter one, it says this in verse one, God, who at sundry times, which means different times, and diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. And it says, verse two, he hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Does the Lord speak differently in New Testament times as he did in the Old Testament times? The answer is yes. He speaks in different ways and different times. That's what it says here in verse one. Sondry times and diverse manners. He spoke in times past to the prophets, to the fathers by the prophets. And, and then in these last days, that's our, our time, he spoke by his son, who's appointed heir of all things. Now, his son, Jesus, we know from John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus, the living word. So we, we look to Jesus uh, and the word of God for our direction, but he spoke in diverse ways to the prophets of old. So the answer is we don't really know how he spoke to Isaiah or Jeremiah, but diverse ways, that's all we get. Was it an audible voice that said, Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Did he say that audibly? Or did he give an impression on Jeremiah's heart? Was there a sky rider in the clouds spelling it out in the sky? We have no idea other than the Lord said, this is my word that came to you. Now, one of the things I love, flip over, since we're still in the New Testament, flip over to Second Peter. Just a few pages to the right, you end up in Second Peter, First and Second Peter. But in 2 Peter chapter one, listen to this. Peter talks about how we uh, receive the word of God in New Testament times. 2 Peter 1, 16. 
It says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now pause for a second. Um, Peter's you know, saying something that's kind of interesting here. He's saying, listen, um, remember at the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, when Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for Elijah, one for you, one for Moses. And then the Lord audibly spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, hear ye him. Peter's talking about that moment when God spoke audibly to Peter. Um, and uh, you say, well, boy, I wish I could listen to God like that, where I could hear God's voice audibly, then I'd know what to do. Well, I don't know if we should ask for that. I'll tell you why. Because do you remember what happened as soon as God's voice boomed from heaven? They fell down as dead men. And when they finally came to and looked up, they looked up and saw no man save Jesus only. I don't know if we want to hear that booming voice from heaven. But Peter goes on here and, and um, he says, man, we heard the Lord speak. Verse 17, this is my beloved son. You know, I'm well pleased. And verse 18, and this voice came from heaven. We heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. We also have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as a light that shineth in dark place until the day dawn, the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. What's Peter saying? In a nutshell, he's saying this, we saw with our own eyes, Jesus, the Messiah. We heard with our own ears, his audible voice, God's audible voice come from heaven. But we today, the church of Jesus Christ, we even have something more certain more sure than the audible voice that came from heaven. That's interesting that he would say that. Did you see that? He said it right there, verse 19. We also have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that take heed. You'd be well advised, Peter's saying, to take heed to a more sure way than the booming voice from heaven. And that is the written word of God. You and I have a massive advantage, according to Peter, over the prophets of the Old Testament and even over the disciples that had Jesus standing there right with them, right there with them. You'd think, oh, that would make me a real faithful person if I had Jesus, like Peter, James, and John, standing there with me and we lived and served among them. Peter say, nope. You and I, we have a more, even a better way of hearing the voice of God, and that is the written word of God. I love that. Why, why would that be better than hearing an audible voice from heaven or from God? I'll tell you why it's, it's more perfect. Because sometimes people hear voices and they think it's God, but it's not. Joseph Smith thought he got the little spectacles and the golden plates and heard, you know, the, you know the, what you know, Moroni, this angel, you know, had given and all this stuff, but that wasn't from God. We know that because it doesn't go with the rest of scripture. It, it actually is against what the Bible actually says about that. And that's the problem. People that listen to voices now, you can be hearing God's voice or you can be just hear, hearing voices in your head because you're losing your marbles. Um, that's not a completely a sure way to hear, but you and I have a perfect 
way to know the voice of God. And that is the written word of God. And, and I would even argue we're, we're better off than even old Peter here in second Peter, because not only do we have, you know, the, the Hebrew Bible, the old Testament, but the written word of the new Testament, which is the complete word of God from Genesis to revelation, we have a more perfect word. So when people say, Brad, I wish I could hear the voice of God. You can, um, I never hear from God. There's your Bible sitting on your nightstand. And the Lord's just rumbling and wanting to talk to you as they you know, listen to the voice of God at Mount Sinai. I'm reminded of that. And, oh, we don't wanna hear the voice of God lest we die, they said to Moses that day. But I, I think you and I, sometimes people say, I'd like to hear from God, but they don't really mean it because the way you and I get to hear from God is so perfect. We have the written word of God. So I, I take that time to explain that because I, I think that we need to be listeners to what is God saying to us? What's God's heart? What's his mind? I, I hear secularists interview Christians and stupid top shows, talk shows and, well, how do you know what God's mind is? They'll say, how do you know what God thinks about this or that? The answer is really simple. We have the written word of God that has withstood thousands of years of scrutiny and, and uh, you know, people have tried to diminish this book and destroy this book, but it's withstood. And it's still, it's still a bestseller. <laughs> people are by the billions reading the Bible because it's living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And that's how we know God's heart and mind. It's not that we're smart. It's not that we have this direct line to heaven personally so we can speak things that nobody else knows. No scripture is of private interpretation. We read there in Peter. We all have the Bible right in front of us to say, is this true or false, right or wrong? So man, we need to hear the voice of God. Well, Jeremiah, his calling comes from hearing the voice of the Lord, verse four. And then what did the voice say? That's, that, that's kind of another part of this. When we talk about his preparation, you know, we, we talk about his person, verses one through three, but his preparation, the word of the Lord came to him and, and he was being prepared before he was even born. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. The word sanctified means I set you apart for a specific purpose. Um, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Interesting, not just to the nation, the, the Jews, but the nations. And that's why you and I have to take real care to listen to what Jeremiah is saying, because some of this stuff uh, pertains to you and me, not just the Jews, okay? So that's important. But the nations, plural. Um, but I can't leave without um, just identifying once again in the Bible where God makes a real point of saying, I, even you know, while I was forming you in the mother's womb. Did you know that's what God's doing? When, when, a, when a woman becomes pregnant, it's not just a biological blob of tissues that sort of forms you know, biologically. God is the one who forms the baby in the mother's womb. And that's something all throughout scriptures. You recall the story there where you know, um, Elizabeth, was six months pregnant and Mary came to explain to, Mary, to Elizabeth, I'm pregnant with child and uh, you know, he's gonna be the Messiah, Jesus. You know, and do you remember what John the Baptist, who was the baby in Elizabeth's womb did? He was six months old in the womb 
and he leapt in his mother's womb. Uh, I'm sure Elizabeth was like, oh great, thanks a lot, Jay the Bee. Uh, that felt great, a cartwheel uh, in, in the mother's womb. But that's what John the Baptist, when he heard the announcement of Jesus that was gonna be born of Mary, then John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb. That's really something. You know, there's this um, prenatal uh, uh, involvement the Bible talks about over and over again, that God is doing a work in, inside the womb. Now, to, to uh, our culture and our world, we need to sit up and take note of that because not only does the Bible think of it that way, but science thinks of it that way. I always like how so many people that are pro-abortion, pro-death, pro-murder, <laughs> sorry if that offends you, but it, I don't care, it is. It's taking a life that God calls a person and brutally killing it. And um, here's the thing you gotta understand, science, even, I like how these people boast that they have science on their side. That's totally wacko. Science is showing that those little babies in the mother's womb still have feelings and pain and emotion. You can, there's, there's, you can see this, the, the 3D imaging. Um, and, and you know to think that so many of these people wanna move the abortion to even a later term, uh, to me, no matter what part of the abortion term, uh, it's all evil. But the later and later thing is just showing me a harder and harder heart to say, nope, it's just fetal tissue, it's not a person. Like somehow magically, the little baby in the mother's womb, by passing through the birth canal, suddenly becomes a person. And some people and politicians are even saying, yeah, we can even after that off a baby because if, if it's not gonna be convenient or good, uh, we'll let that baby die. There's people talking about that now. It's evil and it's wicked. And I believe that's going to count as murder when we stand before God someday. And I hope that you're not a part of that. I hope, I hope that you guys are uh, thinking about that as we you know, have the power to vote here in America to try to vote uh, about things like abortion. I mean, that's, that's just something that is just, I think that maybe uh, when we stand before God, God will say, yeah, slavery was evil. But I think he'll say, but abortion was even more evil. Um, and we get all off on you know how slavery 150 years ago was a problem in our nation, and it was, but right now we have a massive problem of killing millions and millions of babies in the world today, and it's so sad. Um, you wanna see something depressing? Go to the Worldometer. A lot of people are familiar with the Worldometer online because it shows numbers clicking of things like how many coronavirus cases, how many deaths, uh, how many, you know, population of things. But there's also in the world of media, a section of abortions. How many abortions this year in America or, or in the world? And it just has a clicker. And it's so tragic to watch that number go click, 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 click. And every time that's a baby that is being aborted somewhere in the world. And um, man, if God doesn't judge the world today, <clears throat> then he's gonna owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology because I, I, I think it was Ruth Graham that said that one day about San Francisco or something. But um, I, I believe that today. The Lord is gonna, vengeance is mine, say the Lord, I will repay. And that's one of those areas. Now, if you've had an abortion, you might be feeling really bad right about now. But I, I need to tell you, abortion, as bad as it is, it's not the unpardonable sin. The Bible does say the Lord will forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's really only one sin that's unforgivable, um, and that's a sin called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which ultimately is rejecting God and speaking against God and 
not wanting any part of God. But, um, but abortion is not that unpardonable sin. So if you've had an abortion, can I just tell you lovingly, man, repent and say, Lord, forgive me for that. And um, that's how big God's mercy is. He can take all of our sins and we've all done horrible things. Thank the Lord that we can confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And so you don't have to go around feeling condemned if you had an abortion or if you were a boy who told the girlfriend to go get an abortion, you're equally complicit in that abortion. And you know, I know a lot of people that still deal with emotional trouble from that. Um, and uh, that's something that Planned Parenthood doesn't do is care about the person after the abortion. That's what we pastors have to do. Pick up the pieces um, emotionally from women whose lives have been deeply hurt by you know, an encouraging wacko person saying, yeah, get an abortion out of convenience or whatever. And, and the, the pain that comes long-term from that. So yes, that's one of the big things on the ballot, if you ask me right now, for those of you that are voting here in 2020, uh, man, I just can't believe that um, in, in, in a lot of ways, I have a hard time understanding why a Christian who reads their Bible would have a, would, would have a, a view. Um, and I know some people don't like to hear this. I don't care though. Um, if you have the power to vote that nudges something in, in a direction, hopefully that might slow down at least abortion, uh, I'd love it if they abolished it altogether. Oh, bruh, then they'll be doing dark alley abortions and stuff. Uh, th that logic breaks down when you, it doesn't matter that the, that the baby is still alive. You either believe it's a life or it's not. So slaughtering it because of whatever doesn't make it right still. Um, just because, like I've heard people say, well, I would never have an abortion, but they should have the freedom to choose what they're doing. Um, just because you wouldn't do it. Why wouldn't you do it? Like, did the nature of the baby change because it's not in you and it's in somebody else? I just see such a really poor logic in this whole discussion. Um, I was reminded the other day of um, these people. Uh, would you consider abortion for the following situations? <laughs> There's a preacher and a wife who are very, very poor. They've already got 14 kids. This is a long time ago. Now she finds that she's pregnant with number 15. They're living in tremendous poverty. Considering their poverty and excessive world population, would you consider recommending she get an abortion? Um, in the first case, you've just killed John Wesley, one of the great evangelists of the 19th century. Second case, the father is sick with sniffles. The mother has tuberculosis. They have four children. The first is blind. The second is dead. The third is deaf. The fourth has tuberculosis. She finds she's pregnant again. Given the extent of the extreme situation, would you consider recommending an abortion in that case? If you said yes, then you've killed Beethoven. Uh, maybe you've heard that one before. Here's a third one. A white man raped a 13-year-old black girl. She became pregnant. If you were her parents, would you consider recommending abortion? If you killed that baby, you would have killed Ethel Waters, the great black gospel singer. Um, one more, a teenage girl is pregnant. She's not married. Her fiance is not the father of the baby and he's upset. Would you consider recommending abortion? If you said yes to the fourth case, you've just declared the murder of Jesus Christ because that was the situation with Mary and Joseph. 
Um, just because there's wacko people and things going on in this world and sin and disease and death and all that and population and all that does not ever really make it right to consider abortion. They're, they're a little person that the Lord is forming in the mother's womb. I can't speak hardly enough on this. Um, I wish I were better at this. Um, but there are organizations that are pro-life that do a great job in uh, trying to help the pregnant teens and mothers understand that it is a life. And uh, we pray for them, we support them as a church. And uh, I'm praying that whatever happens in this election, that that, that one issue, hopefully we can someday see the lunacy of what our nation has embraced and really what the world embraces. Uh, we gotta get away from that. The Lord formed Jeremiah in his mother's womb and uh, he had already called him. He was already called a prophet before he even was birthed by his mother. Well, that's his preparation, prepared even in the mother's womb, right there, verses four and five. Number three, we see his uh, problem, his problem, verses six through 10. It says this in verse six, then said I, ah, Lord, God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, say not I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Um, so here in verses six and seven, his problem is he thinks he's too young to, to start his ministry. Here's Josiah, he's already been the king for 13 years. Uh, now the Lord says, and you're a prophet at 21. And he says, well, I'm, I'm just a child. I, I worry that um, the church of Jesus Christ, we get this in our mind that you have to be old to really be used by God. I love at Athey Creek that we have a bunch of young people that are just doing really great work in ministry. You know, um, with our children's ministry. I, I love, you know, we got, uh, 18 year old Silas who's just serving the Lord. And uh, he kind of reminds me of myself a little bit when I was a kid, cause I was a children's pastor uh, and serving the Lord in that same kind of role when I was uh, you know, 17 and 18. And I love to see young people who are called by God moving in their giftings and talents. And I'm not letting old people tell them they're too young. Uh, I love that because uh, you know, there's a theme in the Bible actually, and it's not just here in Jeremiah, where young people are, can, are encouraged to minister. You know, a lot of people think of the disciples of Jesus as these gray-haired old guys following around Jesus, but they were teenagers, most of them. There's maybe only one, Peter would have been older uh, when he was called by Jesus, but the rest of them, most scholars agree, they were probably in their teens when Christ called them. Uh, they weren't gray-haired, gray-bearded old dudes like the coloring pictures. They were, um, they were probably out of a whisker or two, maybe on their chin. Um, do you remember Paul having to remind Timothy this in 1 Timothy 4, verses 12 through 14? There it says, let no man despise thy youth. Timothy was a young man called to a really important ministry. He was a, called to be a pastor in the church of Ephesus, which if you know anything about that, that's a tall order. That'd be like, okay, you're gonna be a pastor in Las Vegas uh, and you're gonna start at a, you know, as a teenager. Um, to try to do battle against the evil of Las Vegas. That, that's basically what's happening. So Paul says, let no man despise thy youth, be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, until I come give attendance to reading, that's reading scripture, to exhortation and to doctrine, 
Neglect not the gift that is in thee, Timothy, that was given thee by prophecy and the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Apparently, Timothy was a little nervous to exercise the giftings and talents that he had. And it seems like it was maybe associated with his youth. So like Jeremiah, he's got a prophecy on him. Here's what you're gonna be and here's what you're gonna do. But Timothy's like, yeah, but I'm too young. So the Lord says, don't despise your youth. Be an example of the believers in faith and love and you know, all these things. And, and don't neglect the gifting that God has given you. I wanna speak to the younger people that might be tuning in tonight. Um, man, don't be afraid to lead a Bible study or start a group you know, where you're praying or, or to go and reach out into a ministry that you might think is for older people. Um, there's something about a younger person who's on fire for Jesus that is gonna be super effective. And God just does great things for young people. Um, I, I've noticed that a lot of times what happens, uh, and again, this is a, you know 40 plus years of ministry, I kind of start to see these things as patterns. But a lot of times young people say, well, when I get older, I'll do this. I gotta get my life together and I gotta read the Bible more and become smarter. And no, um, you know, by the time you get old enough to where you feel like you're ready, you're too tired because you're old and, and you have arthritis. Uh, do it while you're young. Like go for it right now. Like truly dive into it and say, um, Lord, I'm just gonna dive in. I'm gonna be used mightily by your spirit. Because it's not by your own might or your spirit. It's by the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit that the Lord's gonna use you. Um, don't be afraid to step out. Um, you know, and by the way, I, I think Athe Creek, we're, we're the church that we're always looking for young people who the Lord's hand is on, that there's a blessing and we see them being used. And we just wanna see those people moved into ministry early. Um, Jeremiah was one such guy. He's just a 21 year old dude um, who the Lord says, um, don't say that I'm just a child. Um, verse seven, for thou shalt go and uh, to all that I send thee, Whatever I command thee, thou shalt speak. So it's really not about Jeremiah to begin with. It's, the Lord says, you just go, I'll put the words in your mouth, go and do it. And I love it when a young person's open to God working through them. Um, very important stuff. Uh, it's kind of like my own story. I, I, you know, I was licensed and ordained as a pastor. Uh, I, was, I was, became an elder at 18. I became licensed and ordained at the age of 19. Um, and uh, was way out of my league. Fortunately, I had some gray hair, you know, when I was 19, so they thought I was a little older, uh, and I kind of carried myself a little older, but somehow I fooled them, and they gave me responsibilities, and uh, I'm so thankful for that, that the Lord uh, was able to do that in my life to start things off early, and I would hope that for that and wish for that for a lot of you. Now, in, in addition, his, his problem was this idea of being afraid because he was too young, but he also was afraid of people. And we see that this is part of his problem, uh, verse eight. It says, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Be not afraid of their faces. Um, this is something that maybe you need to hear tonight uh, as you're trying to talk about things like abortion. Um, to go talk about abortion like I just talked about abortion um, will get you into trouble. Um, especially here in the Portland area, man. Just, you know, if you see some of the marches and the people and the screaming that's going on, um, man, uh, these, there's some of these, you know, women that are marching for women's rights and uh, pro-abortion, pro you know, or as they call it, pro-choice. Uh, uh, and, um, and then you hear them when they meet a 
a, you know, a pro-lifer and they just go nuts and they start screaming obscenities in their faces and spitting on them. That, that's what you see here in Portland. So, um, you know, you would say, man, I'm not saying anything. I'm just gonna keep my little thoughts and my opinions to myself here in Portland. Um, but I would give this word to you, be not afraid of their faces. That's what Jeremiah was up against. Um, you know, the faces can be really something. As a pastor, I've had to kind of learn, most people in the congregation, um, their faces are not really what they're feeling inside. I've had to learn that. I love the people that have the shiny faces, you know, that are smiling and happy. And we have those in our congregation and uh, they're very encouraging. But there's some people that they don't, they're not aware of their faces, you know, where they're just kind of sitting in the congregation like this. And you crack a joke and I'm sure inside they're just chuckling up and everything, but, um, but in their face. And you think, man, do they hate me? Are they gonna kill me after the service? Like what's going on? But I've noticed that. But you never really know what's in a person's heart. Um, so don't be afraid of their faces. By the way, that reminds me of a wedding I did years ago. Um, it was a very touching wedding. Um, the, the, the music came up, the lights went down, um, and the, the, the bride and the father had microphones on them. And before they came through the double doors, you, they, were, they were talking with each other. And the, the, the daughter said, dad, I've you know, kept myself pure for my husband and just because of your guidance and all the, and talking about how the Lord's brought her to this moment and thanking her parents. And, and you know, there was starting a little weeping going on in the, the wedding congregation. And, uh, and then, you know, you just got already touched by that little spiel. And then the doors opened and uh, oh man, beautiful bride and the doors opened and everybody looks back and stands. And then they had to do it, put on that. Remember the old song, Butterfly Kisses? They put on the old Butterfly Kisses song and man, people were blowing snot. I mean, it was just, the, the whole sanctuary was just, <laughs> you know, but there was one guy who was sitting like right, right here in this section of the sanctuary we're in that day. And um, he was this big, like six foot five, 300 pound, burly, scary looking dude, you know, roughly shaved and just kind of there. And he just had a scrunchy face. He's like this the whole time. Everybody else, <laughs> he just, and, and I thought, wow, he, he, that, that's a man's man right there. That guy's not even moved by this. You know, everybody, I'm not kidding. Even the groom had to reach over and use my suit to wipe his tears. <laughs> like literally happened. So I'm, I'm just kind of laughing that this one guy is not even moved by this. And he's just sitting there like this until the bride came within his periphery uh, vision, you know, peripheral vision. Uh, as soon as he sees, all of a sudden I see him go, <laughs> like ugly cry. Like this big, huge dude just lost it in front of the whole, the whole uh, congregation there. And, um, and I thought, wow, you don't always know what's going on inside those hearts and minds of people that you're talking to and talking with. Um, and, and, and I say that because um, don't be afraid of their faces. It's an interesting way to tell Jeremiah to be faithful, to speak God's word, even when their faces don't look like they wanna hear it or that they're gonna reject what you're saying. Don't, don't let the faces scare you away. And he's gonna say that a second time in the same chapter. And we'll see that in a minute. Wow, we're running out of time. We gotta move. Be not afraid of their faces. Um, and then verse nine, it says, and the Lord, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have, this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, 
to throw down and to build and to plant. Wow. Now this is interesting because, um, you know, this, this description here, I've put my words in your mouth. And what are those words gonna do? Uh, this is what we all pray for. Lord, would you speak through me by your spirit, speak through me. I pray for that all the time as I'm teaching the Bible here at Athey Creek. But what is he gonna do? This is where it gets interesting because Jeremiah is gonna have to be the guy that tells it like it is. And I've noticed that um, there's, there's a, a move today, and I've talked about this from time to time. I'm not, not trying to bash other ministries, but I am warning of the last days where you know, teachers are uh, afraid to talk about controversial subjects. And they're only you know, teaching people with itching ears, you know, only the things they wanna hear and um, not crossing the line of offensive and stuff like that. But you know, when you see the ratio of what Jeremiah is gonna have to do, most of it's negative. I mean, think about this, the word that God's gonna put through Jeremiah's mouth, look at the list here. And this is worth you marking these down and meditating on each of these, especially those of you that you know, are gardeners and what have you. He says, I've set you over the nations and the kingdoms to number one, root out, root out. Um, number two, to pull down. Number three, to destroy. Number four, to throw down. Does that sound like a, a bad day right there? I mean, he's rooting out, tearing down, crushing. Like there, there's, there's some times when the Lord's word is gonna, is gonna do that. It's gonna tear down, root out, um, and even hopefully destroy and throw down. But, but at the end it says to build and to plant. That's the goal. You know, sometimes, have you ever, I remember um, Debbie and I, when we got our first house, um, there in Medford, Oregon, a uh, little house on Spring Street. And uh, it was a 1939 fixer-upper. Um, but I, I remember one of the things that we saw was, um, you know, just as we kind of tried to tear into it a little bit to fix it up, you know, you'd, you'd pull off uh, some wallpaper and then behind the wallpaper was this other wallpaper. Like, oh man, you tear down that wallpaper. And, and then you get to this lath and plaster that's really bad, but that was, a, or sheetrock. Uh, and then you get to tear off the sheetrock and this last supply, like they just put layer upon layer upon layer. I don't even know how the walls held up. There was so much weight of junk on there. Um, and you just had to tear down before you could actually, you know, fix it up. Um, I remember that house uh, had a lot of funny little things like, you know, it had this kind of 1971 uh, green shag carpet that looked like it had been vomited on one too many times, if you know what I mean. And we're like, oh man, you know, but we ripped that layer off and tore it down and took it out and got rid of it. But underneath was an old hardwood floor and we were able to refinish. And, but before we could do the hardwood floor, we had to root out and tear out the old vomit carpet. And, uh, and it takes sometimes the tearing out part. Um, otherwise, you're just putting you know, pearls in a pig's snout. Uh, and that's what Jeremiah is, he's gonna have to be the, the, the prophet that actually does some tearing down before he can actually build up and plant. And, and so hopefully pastors are doing the same things that prophets did in the Old Testament, where we're willing to say, abortion is horrifying and wrong. That needs to be rooted out, torn down, ripped out, so that um, there can be a planting and a building and instead of, instead of sin and evil. Um, and Jeremiah has given that, and the ratio here is quite a few things that he's gotta do that are brutal before he can build and to plant. I hope you see that. Well, verse 11 brings us to the fourth section. We get to Jeremiah's prophecy now. So number one, 
his person, verses one through three. Number two, his preparation, verses four and five. Number uh, three, his problem, you know, too young, afraid of their faces. Um, that's verses uh, six through 10. But verses 11 through 16 is the prophecy of Jeremiah. It says in verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. Um, um, and then verse 12, then said the Lord unto me, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Now, um, this is kind of an interesting description of something that you might say, what in the world is this all about? What, what's this thing about an almond tree? Well, God is first confirming vision caused uh, cause Jeremiah to see a branch of an almond tree. Now, there's something we miss in the Hebrew language here that I wanna share with you. It's a play on words and I'm running out of time, so I'm gonna do this quickly. But, um, you know, the, the word for almond tree is sahid, um, from the word which, uh, which means to watch or to awake, which is sechad, sahid sechad, tomato, tomato. Um, and the reason I share this with you is because the, the, the Lord is sort of using a play on words with Jeremiah. The almond tree was named the awake tree because in Israel or the Middle East, it's the first tree of the year to bud and it bears fruit first. And so it's the one that comes awake during the springtime. So it's sort of a, an analogy of being awake. Um, its blooms precede the leaves and the trees burst into blossom in late January. So God is first confirming this vision that Jeremiah sees of this almond tree. And it's basically the Lord saying um, that you've seen and I, and I will hasten my word to perform it. It's gonna come early. I'm gonna perform that which you're speaking, Jeremiah, quickly. Um, that's, that's this play on words, okay? Verse 12 says, then said the Lord unto me, thou hast well seen for that I will perform my word to perform it, hasten my word to perform it. And then the word of the Lord, verse 13, came to me um, the second time saying, what seest thou? And I said, a seething pot uh, and the face thereof is toward the north. Then the Lord said unto me, out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come and they shall set uh, everyone his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem and against all the walls thereof round about against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness who have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. Um, uh, basically the Lord said, other kings are gonna be at your gates of your city, whether that's Nebuchadnezzar or others, uh, you're toast. And it's because of their idolatry. Uh, idolatry, anything that replaces God as an idol. And we've done studies on that. Well, so the prophecy is basically, Jerusalem, you're going down, uh, the enemies are coming, and it's time to awake because it's coming quickly, coming early. Uh, number five on our list is his protection, God's protection, verses 17 to the end of this chapter. Let's take a look. Uh, it says, thou therefore gird up thy loins, arise and speak unto them all that I command thee, be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. Um, you'll be ashamed, before them unless you are not afraid of their faces. That's what he's saying. I think that that happens today. We Christians have cowered so much that now we're ashamed and, and now it's, it's really weird to try to bring truth 
into to conversation at work or with people. Um, you gotta be bold and be bold early. But I love this phrase, therefore thou gird up thy loins. What does that mean in the Bible? Um, it had to do with military battle. Um, you know, the, the soldier would have a belt. Remember the soldier, the armor of God, it says that he wore the belt of truth and, and was girded with the girdle, you know, and the belt, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of That belt was used, um, you know, the guy would walk around with his robe sort of hanging down. But when battle came, they would take their robe and they would wind it up to be sort of like shorts and they would, they would sort of uh, tuck all the loose pieces into this belt that also held their equipment together and their, their armor together. So it made them more agile. It'd be sort of like getting your running shorts on instead of wearing big baggy pants, you know, get in the way of running your, your MC hammer pants. <laughs> you, you had to kind of tie, tie it up so it wouldn't tangle you up when you were in battle. And that's what it means to gird up the loins um, is to be ready for battle is the idea. Um, verse 18, for behold, I have made thee this day a, defended, a defense city, an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee for I am with thee, saith the Lord to deliver thee. Um, you know, it's interesting because the, the kings talked about here and the prin, prin, uh, princes and the priests, these are all Jews that are gonna be against Jeremiah. That's gonna mark his ministry as the Jews are gonna hate him. But even though the Jews hate him, the Lord says, but they will fight against thee, but they will not prevail against thee. So Jeremiah is gonna be available to God, even though the people are gonna look bad, their faces are freaky and they're afraid and they're gonna be mad. But Jeremiah says, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna speak this word. And the Lord says, I'm gonna be with thee. I think that, you know, there's an old saying, the best ability is availability. And I think Jeremiah is an example of that. He's just this 21 year old dude that God says, I'm calling you a prophet from their mother's womb. And I don't want you to be afraid of people, but I want you to speak my word. The word that I put in your mouth, you speak. Everybody's gonna hate you for it, but I'll be with thee. And the question is, was Jeremiah available for the Lord to use? And the answer will be yes. But it begs the question about you, are you available? This is a day where people need to speak the truth. What does the Bible really say? You know, the Pope came out today uh, signing on to, you know, same-sex civil union. Um, uh, and I'm sure he's being applauded by millions of people around the world. Um, because finally the Catholic Church is now acknowledging civil union of gay marriage um, and gay you know, relationships. And, um, and that's a big thing. That's, that's a big change in the Catholic Church. Uh, we'll see where that goes and how that shakes out. But, but it's just another guy, Pope Francis, caving in and not really giving the word of God um, preeminence. Now, that's the problem with a lot of churches, not just the Catholic Church, but all the churches that, that say, um, well, we know more today than the Bible knew back then. And they start pulling and ripping out pages of the Bible. That's what the Pope did today. He's ripping out pages of the Bible because he doesn't like it. And he, and he doesn't see, why shouldn't two people just be able to love each other? Um, that's the way they frame that question. Um, uh, and the Bible just says, nope, there's a limit. And by the way, I'm really glad about limits because that's such a stupid thing to say. Why shouldn't people just be able to love each other? Well, then why shouldn't a 12-year-old boy 
be able to have a love relationship with a 45 year old man and they could be married. But that's gross, who says so? I think you're not allowing love between a 12 year old boy and a, that, you're not being loving. See, there's gotta be a line somewhere and that line's constantly moving in our culture. And by the way, that 12 year old boy and the 45 year old man thing, that, that line's already moving. Pedophilia is being more and more accepted around the world and in minds of people. Uh, and it's, I, you mark my words, I've said it before and we're already seeing it where that's becoming normalized. And it's just gonna get uglier and weirder uh, until the time of the, the day of the Lord. The question is, are you gonna chicken out and say, oh yeah, people should just be able to love each other because that's the safe thing to say and that uh, it sounds so wonderful? Or are you gonna say, God calls that an abomination and the Bible calls that sin? Are you afraid of their faces? Are you available to be a voice that God can speak through? Or are you just one who's gonna you know, regurgitate all the um, politically correct mumbo jumbo that so many churches and people and Christians are just uh, yakking about, God forbid. I'm not saying that we should purposefully be annoying and mean, uh, but here we're living in a day very much like Jeremiah's day where people are rebelling against the Lord and we are called to speak the truth. Well, Brett, I like to just talk about what we're for and not about what we're against. And that's why we always, always wanna end with the gospel message. And it's like when I've talked about abortion tonight, it's a great example. I talked about abortion, how evil it is. And I came on hard on that because I believe it. It's totally true. The Bible speaks about this. But do you remember? I ended with the thing, if you've had an abortion, good news. You can be forgiven of your sins. And the Lord saves us because he died on the cross. You see, you gotta always bring the grace of God in um, with the truth, grace and truth, mercy and truth, coupled together and that's where people will want to be drawn toward the Lord. Don't just be about speaking the truth only. Speak the truth and the love of Christ too. Um, I see a lot of people making that mistake. They're really bold. They're beating people over their heads with their Bibles, but they're forgetting to talk about, but you can be saved and delivered from that worldview and that sin. Um, we gotta always make that the center, Jesus. That's the beginning of the discussion and that's the end of the discussion, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Lord, we pray tonight as we uh, just scratch the surface here of the book of Jeremiah, pray that you just give us right perspective. Lord, give your church a boldness in these last days to speak the truth, but to speak it in love, but to also uh, point people back to the saving grace of the cross. Lord, show us that balance, give us understanding, help us not to be afraid of their faces but speaking the truth, Lord, we pray. May this study tonight, as we've looked at Jeremiah 1, may it bring forth good fruit in our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.